uh, continue looking at our what we started uh, three a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago. This is lesson four on how to enjoy the Bible, and I'm doing this around the holidays because I know fo- folks will be in and out, and uh, it's just that it, the wonderful time to kind of think about our Scripture, to be fascinated by our Scripture and our Bibles, and uh, we we've been looking at uh, the issues here of how to enjoy. Uh, the Bible. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 15, the Apostle Paul says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And, and again, as we begin to think about how to study God's word, we have to study it the way God has told us he wants it to be studied. And again, I, I said it last time, we, when we come to understand the word rightly divided, and we consider the scriptures rightly divided, what we are doing is we are identifying the distinctions and the differences that God himself put in the scripture. We are not writing in a difference. If, if we were to write in a difference, somebody would say only blonde-headed people are in because we only like blonde-headed people. If we were to write in only only the uh, black-haired or only gray-haired or whatever. See, we don't do, God does, God has identified specific places where there is to be a distinction that needs to be identified. And what the issue is in right division is really just that. The two great divisions is the issues of prophecy and the issue of mystery. And again, we, we, we kind of begin to identify these out a little bit. And again, that issue of Israel, God's people, the issue there was circumcision, the issue of the law, the focus is the earth, and really that issue of a kingdom on the earth, where the mystery talks about the body of Christ, the issue of uncircumcision, Actually, the issue of no difference be a little bit uh, correct. Thank you. <laughs> All right. The issue of grace. The focus is the heavenly places. And there is a heavenly kingdom that we are going to establish in the heavens. And, and again, we've, we've looked at all of that. Now, come this morning, I want to kind of look with you. Ephesians chapter number 2. Okay, get Ephesians chapter number 2. And I know when you look at your references, you go, oh my goodness, or you see the overhead. That's a lot of verses, and it is. That is a minute of all the verses we could look at, and we, Ephesians chapter 2. And we could look at them all. I, I give them to you. I'll say something as the time ticks away and the nursery crowd gets out of whack and it gets close to time to being done, and I'll just say some things for you. But I've, I've, I've realized I, you, you need to know these references like I do, so I'll load you up, okay? So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, okay? So we've got time past. Verse 13, then we've got a but now, all right? And then in verse 7, we have an ages to come. So scripture, while the two major dividing lines is prophecy and mystery, Paul God says, I've got a past, a present, and a future. Time past, but now, and the ages to come. 
okay? Now, this morning, uh, we're going to look at time past, and we're going to do it quickly because in time past, the scriptures are Genesis to Malachi, also Matthew to John, and the book of Acts. The scriptures for the but now, today, in the age of grace, is Romans to Philemon, and then obviously then that leaves Hebrews to Revelation to deal with the to come, the future. Okay? Now, this morning we're going to talk about Old Testament. We're going to talk about Genesis to Malachi. When I read and you read Genesis to Malachi, where am I? By the way, Genesis to Malachi is your Gentile Bible setup. How many, how many books in the Old Testament? Ah, uh, 39, right? Uh, yeah, 66. Okay, Old Testament. We got the whole book up front here. Okay, the Hebrew Bible only has 27. But the Hebrew Bible has the same books you do, but they're just reorganized. Instead of First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, they put those books together and call them the Kings. They take Chronicles instead of First and Second. They make it just the Chronicles. All right. The last book in the Hebrew Bible is uh, the last chapter is Second Chronicles 36, and the end of that where Israel is going into the land. You know how your Old Testament ends? With a curse, Malachi 4, you're cursed. Thanks. Well, the Gentiles are cursed. But anyway, my point is, is we're going to talk about Genesis to, to uh, Malachi, and then next week we'll talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we'll do Acts, and we'll just kind of walk through these. But what I, need, what I want you to see is just when you come, you begin to see how God, and, and I ended it last week showing you God is the one that lays these distinctions out. Now, you've got Ephesians 2. Hold on to there and flip over to Romans chapter 9. Ephesians 2 and Romans chapter 9. Because what's going to happen here is the message and the revelation given to the Apostle Paul shines a great big floodlight on the Old Testament. And it helps you and I understand the Old Testament, but it also helps Israel to understand her Old Testament. And in Romans chapter number 9, in time past, back here, Israel is the advantage. Advantage Israel. Okay? Chapter 9, verse 4. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth? So everything in the Old Testament is going to be Israel and what pertains to Israel. Well, what is that? The adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom also concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. Who does Paul say, when you talk about the Old Testament and prophecy, who did Christ come in the flesh? For you and I as Gentiles or for Israel? Israel. So Israel, so Israel's advantage, they've got the adoption, Christ came to them, the fathers belong to them, the covenants, the law, the services, the promises, all of that belongs to who? Israel. Now look at Ephesians 2 and verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye, that's going to be the you Gentiles, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, what time? In the past. Ye were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants and promise of, uh, of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So in time past, Gentile, Israel has the advantage, the Gentiles have what? Disadvantage. They're all washed up, if you think about it. They're without Christ. They're aliens, W-A, okay? So without aliens, strangers from the covenants, hopeless, so you're all washed up. <laughs> You've got no hope back here. The Gentiles are hopeless. Now, in the Old Testament, just by the way, there are two ways a Gentile can come to God. There's two doors in what he's going to erect. Come over to Romans 1. The middle wall of partition, it's going to, it's going to, Paul calls it there, actually in Ephesians 2. We just left there, I'm sorry. Ephesians 2 down in verse 14, he says, And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. We'll talk about that, what that is in just a minute. But there's two doors through that wall. One is to go be circumcised and proselyte, join themselves to Israel. And you see that illustrated throughout the Old Testament. The other way is to claim the part of the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to see it in just a minute in Genesis 12 where they bless Israel. You remember Rahab, the harlot? That's her name, but she's not a harlot when this happens. What did she do to those two spies? She blessed them. She protected them. And you remember what she said? I'm going to take care of you, and when you guys come and destroy Jericho, you got to take care of me. I'm going to hold you to that part of the Abrahamic covenant, which is bless, I'll bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. <laughs> So you got you have to remember in your Old Testament even though Israel is the advantage Gentile salvation is always the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal in the Old Testament and prophecy is Gentile salvation but it's through the instrumentality the use of the nation of Israel. It isn't the mediator between God and man in the Old Testament is Israel, the nation of Israel. Paul says the mediator between God and man today is who? The man, Christ Jesus. There is no instrument. He's not in kingdom building. He's not in any of that. Okay? Now, disadvantage belongs, advantage belongs to Israel, disadvantage to the Gentiles. Now, look at Romans 1 and just notice something here. Because who did this to the Gentiles? The Gentiles did it to themselves. Romans 1, verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up. Verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up. Verse 28. The middle of the verse. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. When God put into humanity His word, His message, what He was going to do through Noah and the three boys and extend out what he's going to do in the earth. You know what the Gentiles did? They went and built the Tower of Babel. They gave up. They, they turned over to their own selves. They, they followed after the lust of their flesh. And God, they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want God. They didn't want God's word. Remember what God's word to Noah was? Get out and spread out and fill it up. Let's go. Let's fill the earth back up. And what did old Nimrod do? By the way, Nimrod. The ninth from, <laughs> here he is, boom. And what happens? He says, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. You don't need to go hunting. 
we'll just fill up the grocery store down here, and you come with your address on a piece of paper, and we'll just feed you. And, st- and then, then the world was what? One language, one people. And God said, that's not what I want done. And he comes down and confounds the languages, institutes different language, and then causes man, to, the nations to come together. All of that is in, while Gentiles, there's no Jew yet. There's no Abraham yet, see. Now, come to Genesis 12. I'm talking about it. Might as well look at it. So the Gentiles do it to themselves. The Gentiles come along and they decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do it our own way. Now, what God does, again, that's Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. If you look there at Genesis 11, just real quick, verse four, verse, well, verse 5 And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Verse 7, go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. They didn't get done with the the building. Why? Well, now you got one guy speaking English to another guy speaking Spanish who can't understand a word. It's interesting. I was dealing with some uh, the contractors, the workers, no English, but they got Google out with the Google Translate app, you know? And it's like, well, they didn't have that back here at the Tower of Babel, okay? So when, when one guy says, hand me the hammer, the other guy says, throw the saw at me, and now you got, so they, they break out, and that really helps you understand chapter 10 when he talks there about the Gentiles are divided in their lands, in their tongues, their families, and in their nations. You see, chapter 10 and 11 are happening at the same time. What divides out the nations of Genesis 10 is the confounding of the languages here in the Tower of Babel. At the same time, Genesis 12, verse 1. Look at Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In chapter 22, it says, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. The Jews don't show up until Moses and the Exodus out of Egypt. Abraham is a Gentile. God, chapter 12, verse 1, God had said this. Back in chapter 10 and 11, when the Tower of Babel's happening, and he's confounding the languages and causing man to, to the Gentile, the nations to, to, to coalesce together. Now you have all the, 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 could you imagine you're speaking German and somebody pops up speaking Spanish? Two opposite dialogues, but yet where do they sit next to each other in, in, over there in Europe? Pretty close, don't they? Spain and then you got France. What are they, they, French? And then you've got the Germanic language. So you've got all of this going on. So you've got man now coming together. And then right in the middle of all that, he looks at Abram and he says, Abraham, Abram, Abraham, you're my guy. And in you, I'm going to make a nation. 
I'm going to make my people. All of these people aren't my people. They've decided to go their own way. They don't want to retain me in my knowledge. I, they, they're, they're, I'm going to give them up. They, they love the creature more than the creator, Romans 1 there. So you're my guy, Abraham. You're my guy. By the way, if you, well, come over to chapter 15. Now, what did God say to Abraham in chapter 12? In thy seed, okay, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will bless them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth. If you're, what is God telling Abraham? Your descendants are going to be where I'm going to be working at. But Abraham and Sarah, they don't have kids. They, they're, you know, old man, old man, chapter 15. So what does the Lord say? 15.1. Fear after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? What does Abraham know? That if his descendants are going to be this great nation, then he's got to have what? He's got to have some kids. So what does the Lord say? Verse, verse 3, and, and, and Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Right there, Abraham became a justified man. Because what did he do? He believed the word of God to him, which was what? You're gonna, not the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But what? You're going to have a bowl, You're going to have a seed. Now Abraham's going to go try to help him. You know, little little Hagar action. And what does God say? No. It's not. That's the bondwoman. That's the that's the work of your flesh. No, 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 no. And then who do we have? Well, we have Isaac show up. Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac, same thing. It's not Esau, the elder, it's the younger, Jacob. But before we get to all of that, look in chapter 17. So basically what God said to Abram was, you're my man, Genesis 17, you're my guy, and I'm going to give you a boy. And Abraham believed him, and his faith was counted to him for righteousness. But God's not done with Abraham. Chapter 17, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham because he's going to be the father of many nations, verse 5. Verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, well, verse 6, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and the king shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for, and how long? Everlasting covenant. How long is that? That's everlasting. You see, this thing starts back here, and how far is it going to go? All the way out to the end. It's going to be there. It isn't going to get null and void just because somebody did this or that. By the way, verse 8, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land 
wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. How long are they going to own that land over there? Forever. You see, you know, the problem with, 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 un, with a non-God-fearing humanity is they think they can take that land away. It doesn't matter where you're at on the timeline, how long have they been promised that land? Forever. Now, right now, they're just duking it out because sinful men do what sinful men do. That's all they are. God's not blessing Israel. By the way, if God was blessing Israel, Hamas would have been wiped out with just one word. Not 40 days or 45 days of fighting or whatever, and they're still not wiped out. You see, if God was blessing Israel and taking care and protecting his people, they would have never attacked to begin with. 1948 would have never needed to. They were, but see, you're not. You're in the dispensation of grace, and God's not doing that. He's doing what? Forming the church, the body of Christ. So what are they? Romans 9, 10, and 11. They're sinful men, and they need to get saved. You see, you gotta, that's where right division comes in. That's where we're headed. Anyway, enjoy the book. What does he do here now? He says, hey, I'm, my covenant with you is an everlasting agreement. So I'm going to set up a sign with you, and we're going to call it circumcision. Verse 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. And if you're in the covenant, if you're on my side, of the, if you're with me, Abraham, if you're with Abraham, what are you going to do? You're going to go get circumcised. Now, who's here? Think about who's in a Abraham's house. No Jews, just who? Gentiles. Isn't that fascinating? There's not a Jew on that paper. There's not a Hebrew on that page right there. It's just who? Abraham and his house and those that are, that are willing to go and be circumcised. Now, by the way, verse 14 is a critical verse. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. That makes Acts 7 when Stephen calls them uncircumcised in hearts and ears so critical to put together with this. He just deemed Israel as heathen in Acts 7. They're not God's people. That's heavy. Because what are we always taught? God's people, God's people, bless them, bless them, bless them. And God says, uh-uh, they've fallen. I'm doing something different today. They're not my people. Now come over with me to Acts 7. I just talked about it. Let's go to Acts 7. By the way, on your way, I'll just remind you from last time, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 53 there, we looked at it last time. God separated out Israel. And again, I, I, I remind you of that because who's doing the separating? Not Rick, but Jehovah God is. Uh, 1 Kings 8, verse 53 David, uh, Solomon speaking here, for thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance. As thou spakest by the hand of Moses, thy servant, when thou broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. When was Israel born? When was, the, when was Israel born? Coming out of Egypt. They were, they were born by blood, the blood on the doorpost, and by power, the crossing of the Red Sea. Moses turns to the people crossing and he says, turn and see your salvation. See God deliver you because that's where we're going to learn about Jehovah. Now come over to Acts 7. 
in Acts 7, Stephen is going to give a history lesson, a really a reminder, verse 8. Acts 7, verse 8. <clears throat> Acts 7, verse 8. And he gave him, that's be the Lord talking to Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs, and the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And it's interesting what, what Stephen does here, just by the way, is he uses Joseph, he'll use Moses, he's going to use a, uh, the Lord himself and say, see, you guys rejected the deliverer, but he still delivered you. You rejected Joseph, Moses, you and he did what? He still delivered you. You, de you rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, and guess what he's going to do to you? Deliver you. And he just paints this wonderful picture, and that apostate nation would have none of it. And they kill him. What I want you to see is the covenant given to Abraham carries the covenant of circumcision. Because circumcision, come over to Galatians 3, becomes the sign of that covenant. Just like water baptism is going to become the sign of the Old, the old, Test, the, uh, the old Covenant. And it's very interesting how the, just those things work out. Look at Galatians chapter 3. So, in time past, we have Israel. We have the issue of circumcision. That's on board. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 i got to get there. Look, just jumping in, verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the what? The law. Now we've got the law on board. It, it was added because of transgression, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Who's the mediator? Moses. Moses is the one that gave him the law. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I wrote it up there on the board for you. 5 to 8. He gives them the law. What great nation is this to have the commandments of God and goes and does. The mediator is Moses here. What he gave, but what I want you to notice is that the law was added because of what? The transgression. So the law comes along the circumcision is the middle wall, and the law fortifies that circumcision issue, that divider. Remember Genesis 17, what, what divided man? Circumcised or uncircumcised? Which one are you? Well, I am, you can't be neither. You're either or, by the way. Okay. If you're uncircumcised, what have you done? You've broken the command, covenant. You've, you've broken the word. If you're circumcised, you're on the right side. Then, so the law belongs to the nation of Israel. It's given to them to strengthen the wall. So God comes along now, and he's, not only does he have an agency in the earth, Israel, a kingdom, now he's going to give them the law. And by the way, Exodus 19, the law is an if-then clause to it. Why? Because if you perform, then I bless you. If you don't perform, then I'm going to curse you. And that's a covenant agreement. You see, when Israel broke the law, they couldn't say, we didn't know. No, they had a covenant agreement. 
When God looks at him, looks at Moses and says, Moses, write him a bill of divorcement. They're not mine. Why? Because they broke the covenant agreement. They broke it. The new covenant's going to come along, we'll see, and he's going to restore that covenant agreement. There's a clause in the old that he's going to pull and use. But I got ahead of myself. Because what's God doing in time past? Well, he's establishing a kingdom, a nation, an agency, and where he is going to come now and he's going to establish and accomplish his whole purpose in the earth, on the planet. Okay? He's got a group, he's got a guy, Abraham, your seed. The seed goes to Isaac and goes to Jacob, Jacob to the 12 boys, the 12 tribes of Israel. We call them. Jacob's name has changed to Israel. Now we've got the 12. And the 12, they go down into Egypt. And they come out. And, and in Exodus, he says, Behold, my firstborn. Here's Egypt. My, my, my firstborn son. Here's e Israel. Birthed out as God's nation. His people in the earth. Because he's going to do something with them in the earth. And what he's going to do is he's going to take his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, verse 10. Just look, just look over there. You're in Galatians 3. Look at Ephesians 1 and look at verse number 10. What he's going to do is he's going to make the Lord Jesus Christ the head over all the things in the earth through the establishment of a literal, physical, visible, Davidic kingdom with the design of being a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now, did you get that? I need to say it again because I can if I do. So just rerun the tape. <laughs> Ephesians 1 verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are where? Notice on earth. So he's literally going to use Israel as the instrument to establish a literal, physical, visible Davidic kingdom. So then, then through Israel, through that kingdom, will then the blessings flow into creation, into the earth. Now, come back to Psalms 132. Psalms 132. Psalms 132. Now, I know what everybody likes to read the book of Psalms, and everybody likes to read Proverbs, and Proverbs and Psalms have nothing to do with you. Pretty, I mean, read a proverb a day. We get them all through the month. Yeah, you can do that, and that's great. But it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the little flock and their heartbeat and how they're going to think during the tribulation time, the 70th week of Daniel. But look at Psalms 132 and verse 10. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. What kind of throne do you think David's thinking about? A spiritual one that just kind of floats around in the minds of men? Or a literal one that you can sit down on? A literal, physical, visible throne. Okay? 
If, the, if thy children, David, if thy children will keep my covenant, my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. And you see that thing about here is my rest? That takes you back in your mind. I know it does. I hope, and if it doesn't, then you should. To Genesis chapter 2, where on the seventh day, what did the Lord do? He rested. After creation work, he rested. Not because he's tired, but because the work is done. When he says, this is my rest forever, he's talking about the kingdom rest that he designed way back in Genesis chapter 1 with creation in the earth. But who is the promise to? David. All right? Now, come over to Daniel chapter number 2. Daniel chapter 2. Let me see if I can lose you some more. Daniel 2, verse 44 and verse 45 is the goal of prophecy. Here's what the prophets are all about. They're not here to tell you, Nostradamus, that this is going to happen on this day and blah, blah, blah. Sorry. What the prophets are about is Daniel 2.44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. So what are the prophets going to be about? God setting up a kingdom. Ta-da! See, I'm going to charge everyone a thousand bucks, right? Because I just told you something awe-inspiring. No, it's right here in the book. Which shall never be destroyed. How long is this kingdom going to last? When he sets it up, how long is it going to last? How long was the promise given to Abraham? Forever. What kind of covenant was that? Everlasting. Everlasting covenant. Everlasting promise. Everlasting possession of the land. <gasps> Shocking. I'm telling you. You guys will come out of here knowing more than the average student coming out of seminary, cemetery, seminary school. Really will. And all you're doing is reading. Keep reading. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. How long? Forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. Nebuchadnezzar has this vision of this great uh, uh, image and, he, and its kingdoms, Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, Greece, and the Antichrist, and he says, you know what? Then you saw this big stone roll down the hill and knock it all away, and that's God establishing his kingdom on the bedrock and on the destruction of all of the kings of the Gentiles. And he's going to get it done. He's going to have a literal, physical, visible Davidic kingdom. It's going to literally sit there. Come over to Exodus 19. Back to Exodus 19. And the goal of, pro of prophecy is the promise of the coming Messiah who's then going to establish his kingdom on the earth and then carry out the edicts given concerning that kingdom, which is Exodus 19, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. But just for sake, verse 5. Now therefore, Exodus 19, 5. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, 
Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of what? Of priests and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. What are they going to do? What's the goal? The kingdom of what? Priest. What are they doing? They're bringing the blessings and the salvation that God has for the nations, and they're bringing that, and through that priesthood, through that royal nation, through that holy nation, through that redeemed nation. By the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is called a little flock, believing remnant. We'll get there next time. And through those people, he's going to then bring his salvation to all the world in the earth. He's doing it through a literal, physical, visible, Davidic kingdom. That's your Old Testament. Well, what about? Well, let's talk about that. Come over with me to. Well, you're in. Are you in? You're not in Daniel anymore, are you? You're in Exodus. Eh, go to Daniel nine. Let's make sure we get this in, okay? Daniel nine. And this is the last. This is the last reference on the bottom of your sheet. But we're going to do it right here, real quick. Daniel 9, verse 24. Daniel 9, 24. And then we'll go back up into the other verses and you'll see what we're going to do here as we go. Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now watch. To finish. So there's 70 weeks. 70 weeks of what? They just had 70 years of captivity under Babylon, under Nebuchadnezzar, and God, and God cleaned up the land. But then he looks at Daniel and says, I'm not going to put a dirty people in a clean land. They'll just dirty the land again. So now we're going to have 70 weeks of years. We're going to have 490 years to do something here to thy people, Israel, and upon thy holy city. Matthew chapter number 5, we'll see it in a minute. That's Jerusalem. And we're going to finish some things out here. And when we get done at the end, the end of verse 24, and to anoint the most holy, we're going to set up the Messiah. We're going to set up the, whole, the, the, the kingdom. But what are we going to do? we got a timeline. we got 69 weeks we're going to do this. Then we got... After that, we're going to do, there's a timeline. Prophecy has a timeline. It starts, verse 24, verse 25. And therefore... Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. From Nehemiah chapter number two all the way to Calvary is going to be 69 weeks. Okay? And things are going to happen. We're going to have some here. We got seven. We got 62. We got John the Baptist. We got the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got Israel. We've got a whole bunch of stuff going on in here. Then he says, verse 26, and after threescore, then Calvary. And from Calvary to the 70th week, verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the 70th week. And here, there's a, this is a, uh, I like to call it a gap because people don't like gaps. But there's gaps in your Bible all over the place. And there's a gap of time in here that is undeterminate. Okay? By the way, where are you and I? We gap the gap. 
There's a gap in the prophecy in the prophetic scriptures of an undetermined time when what's going to happen? Well, the things in verse 26 are going to happen. The city will be destroyed, the sanctuary and the end thereof, and the wars and the desolations. And then that 70th week, there's going to be the confirmation. My point is, is there's a timeline here. Okay? So when Galatians chapter number 4 says, and the Lord was made of a woman, was... Uh, I just had it. Sorry. Galatians 4. I just had it. Galatians 4, verse number 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law. He didn't just show up in a weird way. He showed up where? Right on time. If you come back to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. When he says the time is fulfilled, it's time. We're, it's right there. It's time. Not, oh, well, maybe. Is today the 26th or the 27th? Wait, oh, it's the 29th. Whoa, whoa, whoa we're, all, we're, we're, we're late. No, no, right on time. Why? Because prophecy has a time schedule to do what? To establish, by the way, what happens at the end, the second coming, and then we have that thing about that millennial kingdom set up, the thousand years. By the way, that's just an introduction. How long was the kingdom going to last? Forever. Hello. Not just a thousand years and then we're done and we go back to, you know, the blobs in the swamp. We're forever and ever and ever and ever, okay? Now, when that kingdom is established, we've got five minutes to do all those verses. So go with me to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23 and Matthew 5. Matthew 5, Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23 and verse number 5. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will rise unto David, a righteous branch, a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. That's the focus. That's where this kingdom's going to be, in the earth. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Isn't that interesting? Earth. Earthly, literal, physical, visible, Davidic, earthly kingdom. Matthew 5, verse 35. Matthew 5, 35. Nor by the earth. By the way, when he says earth, you know what he's thinking about? Earth. Oh, some mystical thing out there floating around. We don't know. No, he's talking about earth. When John the Baptist says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You know what he's thinking about when he said wrath? Wrath. God pouring out his wrath. John 5, 35. I'm sorry, Mark 5, Matthew 5, 35. Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the... Where is it going to be centered? In Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Jerusalem drags you all the way back to Abraham with, with Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem. The beginning of Jerusalem. That's where we're at, Jerusalem. <laughs> it's going to impact all of the earth. That's Psalm 72. Run back there to Psalm 72. 
Psalm 72, verse 11. Psalm 72, 11. Yea, all the kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. You come over to Isaiah 60. And this is the fun, this is the part that everybody doesn't quite grasp. So we're going to look at it here real quick. Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. Verse 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For, behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to, now watch, thy light. Thy who? Israel. They're not coming to the light of the Lord. They're coming to the light of Israel, thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Who's the instrument? Who's the, who's the mechanism that God's going to use to pour his blessings out? Israel. But who's it going to? All the Gentiles. You go to Zechariah chapter 8. You know this one, Zechariah chapter 8. If you don't know it, you, you will now. Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah 8. In verse 13, And it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and ye shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. So Israel and Judah, what are they going to be now? A blessing. If you draw your eye across the verse 23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days, the days of them being a blessing, it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all, out of all the language of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That's in the millennial kingdom. That's when they're doing the Matthew 28 commission, and they're out there. And what's happening? Ten Gentiles grabbing hold of them, saying, You're, God's with you, and let's go. By the way, they're out of all the languages. Now you know why they have to reverse the curse of the Tower of Babel and have the ability to speak in tongues. Why? Because they've got to talk to all the people. The government will be perfected. That's Jeremiah 23, verse 5. You go to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah 2, in verse number 4, Isaiah 2, verse number 4, this goofy verse sits up on the United Nations wall. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You know what? And that happens only in the millennial kingdom, only in the kingdom. It will never happen today. They run that verse up there so they can be biblical. And it's absolutely nothing. You know how you know that? Look around the world today. What are we doing today? War and bloodshed. In the kingdom, there will be no war and there will be no bloodshed. You go to Isaiah 35, Isaiah 65, health and long life. Isaiah 11, animal creation all tamed again. Isaiah 35, the vegetation, the vegetable, the curse on the vegetation is lifted. Come to Romans 11. Romans 11. You look at those verses. Come to Romans 11. Again, all this happens when that kingdom is established. 
And that kingdom is what the Old Testament is all about. That literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. The promise of a Messiah coming. A promise of a kingdom to be established. That's why next week when we look in the Gospels, what do they say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because here's the Messiah. Make way his path. Here's the prophesied Messiah. Here comes the kingdom. And you people got to get right. You got to repent. You got to change the way you think about this stuff and about who he is and where you're at on the timeline. Because guess what? It's time. Now, that's next week. Romans 11. Romans 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So, where are we today? Blinded. Israel's blinded. But look at verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, Isaiah 59. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. What's going to happen to Israel one day? They're going to be saved, but where? in that kingdom. So when you're reading Genesis to Malachi, you're in the Old Testament, you're in time past, Israel is the focus, circumcision is the main player, the law is what's on, but that issue of the preaching of a kingdom, a li- not a spiritual thing that we just can't quite get. By the way, the guys who tell you that, you know why they tell you that? Because they don't understand how to get out of a wet paper bag. They really don't. They don't understand what God's doing today because they don't rightly divide the word of truth. In time past, that Old Testament, Israel is still God's chosen nation. The law of Moses is the operating system. Gentile salvation is available. you got those two doors. But the goal is to establish that little physical, visible, earthly Davidic kingdom that's been promised and prophesied about how it's going to come, when it's going to come, and the timeline. And in that moment, all Israel shall be saved, and they'll be good to go. So when you go read the Old Testament, enjoy it. It's fascinating. You take those verses I gave you in Isaiah there and so forth, and you can go find a hundred more. You really can. And you just look at what's going No more sorrow, no more sadness, no more sickness. Health beyond health can be. Wealth beyond wealth. Not today. Age of grace, doing something different, but out there in that kingdom. Okay? Now, we'll pick up and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John next because it's just going to continue what we're doing. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can enjoy it. When we leave the word, And study the word the way you would have us to study it. And we can enjoy it that way. And we can see what you're going to do with Israel, your people. And then when we see that, then we have the hope and the confidence and the assurance that you'll do for us what you've promised to do for us. In your name we pray. Amen.